Welcome to Farming God, a podcast on disinterested spirituality and garden variety philosophy. When labeling trees, we first decide if they are coniferous or deciduous. Conifers have needle-like foliage and normally produce seeds and cones, the most common being pine, fir, spruce, and cedar. Unlike deciduous trees, conifers never lose their foliage, remaining evergreen. Deciduous are most easily identified by their annual leaf shed. Deciduous is defined as the dropping of a part that is no longer needed, a falling away after its purpose is finished. We humans are a bit deciduous ourselves. Beginning at birth, our mothers shed the decidua, or uterine lining. Deciduous baby teeth are lost once we are weaned from milk, our hair is cut, nails trimmed, dead skin turned to dust. I'm staying in northern Michigan on the edge of the Pigeon River State Forest. The area is full of deciduous trees like sugar maple, birch, oak, and conifers like hemlock, spruce, and fir. I was taking a walk yesterday and thinking about the simplicity of this distinction. Coniferous, deciduous, deciduous, coniferous, it seemed odd that nature would offer such a tidy distinction so convenient for scientific classification. It felt like a trap in a game of chess, a multiple-choice answer that seems too obvious, or the last bunch of perfectly ripe bananas in the produce aisle, mostly yellow, hardly green. They'll be great on oatmeal for at least the next five days, if it wasn't for bottom banana number six. To the dismay of the dozens of patrons who have come before you, bottom banana is bruised. Without hesitation, each shopper sets the bunch back down, mushing the bruise more and more until bottom banana number six is no longer a solid and hardly a banana at all, just a brown smoothie dripping from a peel, nourishing today's generation of produce department fruit flies. I'm on a walk looking at trees. That's a tamarack. They are native to Canada and stretch across the northeastern United States. Tamaracks grow 30 to 60 feet tall and 24 inches in diameter. Because of their strong, light, and flexible wood, Native Americans called them tamaracus, meaning wood used for snowshoes. Wood for snowshoes, inner bark to treat infections, outer bark to relieve arthritis. Today, we grind tamaracus into a pulp to make paper. Tamaracks appear to be conifers. They have spirally green needles and seed-bearing cones, but they are also deciduous, every fall shedding their needles. Tamaracks are deciduous conifers, the exception to the rule, the essence of Mother Nature's disinterestedness in silly humans' linear thought. A series of strange, spontaneous events led me to Song of the Morning Yoga Center this week. Over the next couple of episodes, I'll share some stories from the people here in the woods of northern Michigan, living a mile down a gravel driveway, over a stream, and on the edge of the Pigeon River State Forest, where Dorothy stays in the community, Brian in the Winnebago, 
Justine in a pod, and I in a geodesic dome. More to come in the next weeks. Smoke signals at farminggod.org. Meet Dorothy. What's, what's your name and what, what do you, what do you, how do you describe what you do? Mm. <laughs> what's well, your vocation? Yeah, my name is Dorothy Stingley and uh, I'm a business owner by trade. I mean, I, I operate a business. I'm actually a franchisee of McDonald's Corporation really? and I have been for 35 years. What? Is that yeah. right? And um, I've also been a certified yoga instructor since I was 25, so more than 40 years. And um, I've meditated since that time continuously. Um, I'm also, I've been involved in different faith communities. I would say I'm interfaith, ecumenical, definitely flexible. Uh, when I lived in Chicago in my 30s, I practiced Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism. Um, since I've lived in Arizona the last 24 years, for more than 20 years, I've been a member of a Presbyterian congregation. And um, most of the focus of my work in all of the areas of my life now is around leadership. Mm. And uh, I've worked for more than 35 years and invested in a global organization called the Hunger Project that empowers the poorest people on the planet to be self-reliant. Wow. The Hunger Project. The Hunger Project. So. And the last few years, I'm one of those kinds of people, Steve. I'm always looking to see what are the tools that I need next to be more effective in what I'm doing? How can I expand my capacity to be effective? Mm -hmm. So the last three years, I've been participating with the Mastery Foundation School for Leadership because when I learned about the school and saw the work that they were doing through a friend of mine who's one of their founders, I saw that there were tools and experiences there that would expand my capacity as a leader. And not a leader in traditional ways you might think about it, not someone with power or a hierarchical leader, but someone who inspires and empowers others. Mm. That's what I'm interested in. So my, my show is about the spiritual revolution of America's emerging generation. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is something that we're all, uh, if not necessarily actively, passively interested in. It's this idea of um, doing something with, with, that comes with some sort of meaning. Yeah. But we seem to be lacking um, the capital or the, the idea of where to start. Where have you seen uh, young people moving forward with a vocational 
interest that has to do with a social justice sort of direction within this master's program. Do you see anything coming from millennials? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a young woman named Sophie Goran, who's uh, the daughter of an Israeli diplomat who's running a program for Bedouin at-risk youth in the Negev in Israel. And uh, I heard at the last meeting that she attended with me about a young woman who she's empowering by coaching her via Skype. This young woman and her her husband are on some uh, diplomatic mission away from home and feeling really resigned and helpless in the work that they were doing. And Sophie's been coaching her via Skype to have a breakthrough in her effectiveness. Mm. Absolutely. Um, another member of my cohort who also happens to be from Israel is working to bring um, individuals and families together who've experienced loss um, in the conflict, who, who've experienced family members um, being killed in the conflict in Israel and really building bridges. As our generation seems to turn away from the Christian church, we talked about the, the idea of doing something with a higher purpose or for a, some sort of higher other. Where, where can we look for that a sort of morally infused um, idea of social justice? Mm-hmm if it's not Christianity. (laughs) Well, I love Jesus, I love God, I love Buddha, uh, I love Kali, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, it's an interesting question to ask me, but my answer to that question would be leading people to look within. I really believe that the divine is in each of us, that that's what our humanity, our life is, that we are, this is the time of our life, where this is it. And uh, I, I believe that there are a number of ways that you can help reawaken that in people. Um, I've seen a lot of different um, avenues. Um, for myself, I met a yoga teacher who was a disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda when I was 25. Mm. Uh, My father was an alcoholic, and I met people in 12-step programs whose lives had become so unmanageable that they were willing to surrender them to believe in something greater than themselves. And I would say, at this point in my life, I think that that thing that we call vocation or calling or purpose or reason for being, I believe that if you get quiet enough, it is revealed to you. I'm an advocate of meditation. Um, 
if not that, at least some kind of stillness or silent practice, if it's walking or boating or skiing or whatever it is that gets you in that zone where you can hear something beyond your own mind. Or your cell phone buzzing at you. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. Community has been a topic discussed at, in your master's program. Of course, places like this retreat center in rural Michigan are beautiful, and they're, uh, I think they hold a special place for everyone who is able to partake in them. How is something like this able to be transferred to a more, um, I guess, a city life, lifescape? or reach more people? It's such a beautiful question, Steve. Um, One of my heroes and one of the men who designed the curriculum of the Mastery Foundation School for Leadership is a fellow out of Cincinnati named Peter Block. If you've never read his books, I highly recommend them. But he has a book called Community, The Structure of Belonging. And he's teaching us about ways of interacting and developing relationships that promote community and promote belonging. So, for example, in the Mastery Foundation School for Leadership, we may work on a concept for a while. Then we may take a period of silence and just be together in silence. But if we discuss something or share about it, we always do it in groups of three or four. And that's Peter Block's work. Really simple practices that cause community to emerge. Is there any, I mean, so a lot of us kind of sit at our computers, we read the news and are engaged and troubled stop by the things happening. Stop, just stop it. <laughs> just stop all that. But we have to make money at the same time and be like part of en- engaged in the world. And I'm a millionaire. <laughs> I am. I'm just telling you the truth. I learned that when I learned to give my money away, more money came to me. Um, It's another book I would recommend to you, a woman who's been on NPR. She's been on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, but I met her 35 years ago. Her name is Lynn Twist, and she's written a book called The Soul of Money. And she talks about the fact that Money has the meaning you give it. Money has no meaning of its own. It has no intrinsic meaning. Money has the meaning that you give it. And she talks about the three toxic myths around money, the toxic myths of scarcity. Number one is there's not enough. Number two is more is better. And number three is that's just the way it is. And we're taught that in our culture. We are a consumer culture. We are a capitalist economy. I believe that you can rise above that and you can use your money for good. I think most people set up a dichotomy. If you're going to be spiritual and progressive and futuristic, 
you've got to deny the consumer culture or consumerism. Mm -hmm. So you think that we have to participate in it? I believe that my calling is to participate. So I'm the yogi Presbyterian woman on a mission uh, who's a philanthropist who serves on the National Supply Chain Council for McDonald's. And I'm testing every new idea around recycling and improving our farming practices that McDonald's is working on around the world. Now, when a company does that, that feeds billions of people a day, that has an impact. I would say so. It's difficult to identify a tamarack tree. They appear average, just another conifer. Green needles, brown cones. Spend some time with one. Taste its bark, bend its limbs, watch its needles fall away after their purpose is finished. I wonder if then tamarackus would be just another conifer. signals at farminggod.org.